You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this account that we read in Luke's Gospel today, I would like us to look this morning at verse 32. As Jesus had revealed himself and then disappeared, and they were responding to each other about this experience that they had just had, and they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us there in the way and while he opened the scriptures to us. I believe that today one of the greatest needs in the church is burning hearts. The church through the years has been able to define its theology. We have now a very systematic study of theology. We know what we believe and we know why we believe it. We've become very orthodox. But unfortunately, we've also become rather cold in our relationship with God. What the church desperately needs today is men with burning hearts, with that fire of love and enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. The church has learned from the sociologist and from the psychologist on how to manipulate people. The church has become very expert in its ability to raise funds in order to keep its program going. But the very fact that the church in many places has to use gimmicks in order to give people to give is only a witness against the fact that the people have lost the burning heart. Where people have these hearts that are burning with love and enthusiasm for the Lord, you don't have to have the gimmicky programs that the church has had to use in order to motivate people to do or to give for God. All of these programs that the church have inaugurated have come as the result of the cooling of the hearts of God's people. Jesus, in talking about the last days, said, Because the iniquity in the earth will abound, the love of many will wax cold. And the hearts of so many people have waxed cold to the things of God and to the things of the Spirit. They're no longer stirred as they once were. That fire no longer burns. Jesus again, in talking to the church of Ephesus, said unto them, Look, you've got a lot of things going for you all kinds of activities, all kinds of works. 
but you've left your first love. Oh, how tragic when a church or when people leave that first love, when that coldness begins to come over their heart. Such was the case of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had lost an awful lot. They still had some left. They weren't completely out of it. They still possessed a love for their Lord. Though it wasn't as fervent, they had been broken. They were shattered. But their very sadness indicated the love that they still possessed. And Jesus made mention of their sadness. He said, hey, guys, what are you so sad about? What's wrong? You're talking with each other, but you appear to be so sad. What's your problem? They said, hey, you must be a stranger around here if you don't know the things that have been going on in Jerusalem the last few days. What things? But the sadness. But notice, as they spoke of Christ, they spoke in terms of love. They were still fond of him, and there were those terms of love and fondness as they spake of him. They still believed in him, perhaps not anymore as the Son of God, but they spoke of him as a prophet, mighty before God and the people. It is interesting that in their Believing in him still as a prophet and their reference to him as a prophet, that they themselves were disregarding some of his prophecies. When he was there in Caesarea Philippi, he said, Look, well, you remember, he first said, Who do people say that I am? They said, Oh, you know, I heard someone say that you were John the Baptist raised from the dead. Another disciple said, I heard you were Elijah. Another one said, I, I heard someone say that you're probably Jeremiah. He said, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus began to reveal unto his disciples how that he would have to go to Jerusalem, that he would be given over to the high priest, and that he would be killed, but he said, the third day I will rise again. A very interesting prophecy of Jesus. Now they said, oh, he was a prophet, mighty, in word and deed before man and God. And here was his prophecy, the third day I will rise again. On another occasion, the Pharisees came to him and they said, show us a sign that we might believe. And Jesus said, well, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but there will no sign be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so again, three days, three nights. Once more, as... Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. 
Now they misunderstood him. They thought he was talking about the temple that they were building at that time, started by Herod. And they said, we've been 47 years building this temple, and you say you're going to rebuild it in three days. Who are you saying that you are? But they didn't realize that Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. Destroy it, but in three days I'll rebuild it. Over and over, Jesus had been telling his disciples, look, they're going to take me, they're going to crucify me, but on the third day I'll rise again. Now they said, oh, he was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and man. And we had hope, but they, they crucified him. And, and this is the third day. Well, if it's the third day, guys, you should be looking for something. You should be anticipating something. You should be looking forward to a glorious, exciting event. But they had lost that hope that keeps man. They had also lost an understanding of the words of Jesus. You see, he didn't do things the way they expected him to do them. And when the Lord didn't follow the way they thought he was going to do, when he didn't follow their plans in setting up the kingdom, they became discouraged and despondent. According to the way they had it all figured out, Jesus was soon ready to come into Jerusalem and to drive out those detestable Romans and to establish the kingdom. And when the Romans sent their legions, he would raise up their army and he would defeat them and he would establish the kingdom of peace upon the earth. And rather than taking the sword and leading them into battle against the Romans, He quietly submitted himself as he bore the cross to Golgotha and as he was nailed upon it and as he died there. Hey, his death isn't according to our plans. He shouldn't be dying. He should be reigning and we should be reigning with him. And because the Lord was not following their expectations, unbelief, filled their hearts, and with the unbelief, the loss of hope. So many times we make the mistake of figuring out how we want God to work in our lives. We figure out how God can best work out this situation that I'm facing. But many times we get discouraged because God isn't following our plans. And I look at my life and I say, hey, God, this isn't the way I planned it. What are you doing, Lord? And I fail to understand the work of God. Now, don't make the second tragic mistake. Many people, when they fail to understand the work of God, then they begin to disbelieve the work of God. That was their mistake. Because he didn't do things the way they planned, then they lost their faith, unbelief filled their hearts. 
And even when the gals came back from the tomb and said, hey, it's empty, and there were two angels, they were in bright shining garments, and they were sitting on the stone, and they told us that Jesus was alive. He was going to meet us. They said, ah, oh, hysterical woman. And it said, they believed them not. And these two guys struck out for Emmaus, talking to each other, just sad, despondent, broken-hearted. They were blind to the ways of the Lord. In fact, as Jesus walked with them, it said, and their eyes were holden that they didn't see him. Here the answer was so close. Fellas, you really don't need to be disheartened. You really don't need to be downcast. The one walking with you, right there by your side, is your risen Lord. But their eyes were holden that they could not see him. So many times God has worked out the answer and it's right there, but we can't see it. Unbelief keeps us from accepting it. We just go on with our moping and with our despondency and with our despair, and here God is right there with the answer, walking with us. But I can't see it. My eyes are holding. These men had lost their hope. I think that this surely has to be one of the most tragic experiences that can take place in a person's life when he loses all hope. I think perhaps the most tragic words that you can ever hear come from the doctor when he walks out of the room where he has been working on your loved one. And he looks at you and you can see the pain in his eyes as he says, I'm sorry, there's no hope. You know, something just hits you in the pit of the stomach when hope is gone. They say that in tests that they have made, that when a person loses hope, their chances of getting cancer increase by 30%. They have discovered that there is some kind of a chemical in our system that retards the growth of cancer. They have also discovered that when a person has great hope, this chemical is created, and when a person loses hope, the body no longer creates this chemical. Oh, how important hope is to us. And how tragic when a person loses hope. These men expressed their lost hope. They said, we had hope that he would have brought the redemption of Israel. Yes, they had hoped that, but their hopes were dashed three days earlier when he was hanging on a cross because that isn't the way they had planned the redemption. They had planned it with a sword. And as he died upon the cross, their hope was shattered for the redemption of Israel, what they didn't realize is that now the hope is possible because the price of redemption have been paid. And with unbelief, 
with a shattered hope, there came an extinguishing of the fire within. That zeal, that love, that excitement that they once had burning in their hearts, the flame was put out. You know, as they journey with Jesus, as they watched him near Bethsaida, as he took five loaves and two fish and broke them and distributed them among the crowd that was there, 5,000 men besides women and children, and as everyone ate from just the five loaves and the two fish until they were glutted, and then they gathered together 12 baskets full of fragments. Oh, a hope, a fire began to burn within their hearts. They said, surely this is the Messiah, and the age of hunger is over. A man who can multiply loaves and fishes can feed the world, and no one needs to go hungry again. Oh, how glorious we are on the verge of the kingdom age. And as they saw him going around and laying his hands upon the blind eyes and the eyes being opened and the people could see, as they saw the lame leaping for joy and excitement, they remembered the prophecy of Isaiah where he declared, And the blind shall see the glory of the Lord, and the dumb shall sing forth praises unto their God, and the lame shall leap for joy. And they thought, Oh, this is it. This is the kingdom age. This is the restoration of man. Oh, how glorious! And the hope was burning in their hearts. But when he was hanged on the cross, they no doubt stood around hoping for a last-minute miracle. Now he'll show them. As the high priest said, if he is... Truly the Messiah, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. And they were thinking, all right, Jesus, come on down. Come on down, Lord. They were waiting, no doubt, for God to intervene with a last-moment miracle. But to their dismay, he cried, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head, and they could see the body go limp. And they lifted the body off the tree, and they placed it in a tomb. And as the stone was rolled over the door of the sepulcher, all hope was gone, and the fire went out. Now the purpose of Jesus joining them on the road to Damascus was to rekindle the fire. And how did he do that? He began to rekindle the fire by going through the scriptures with them. Starting with Moses, starting with the law, and then on through the prophets, he gave them a glorious Bible lesson in which he shared with them all of the scriptures that spoke of him. In Genesis, he no doubt showed to them how that God had called upon Abraham 
to offer his son, his only son, as a sacrifice. And how Abraham journeyed for three days with a broken heart, feeling that his son was as good as dead. But how when his son said, Dad, where is the sacrifice? His father answered in faith, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Here in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen. And that glorious prophecy, and no doubt then sharing with him, look, what mountain was that? It was Moriah. Where was Jesus crucified? There on Moriah. Can't you see the prophecy of Abraham was fulfilled? Can you not see that though the serpent bruised his heel, he bruised his head? And as you go into Exodus, and as you see the tabernacle, and as you see the sacrifices, and as you see the Passover lamb, don't you realize that it was necessary that a lamb be slain, that the house might be saved? And as he explained to them the book of Leviticus and all of the sacrificial offerings and again pointing out the fulfillment of the law. And as he came on into the Psalms and all, still expounding those Psalms, don't you remember the cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Don't you remember that they pierced his hands and his feet? They parted his garments among them and cast lots upon his vesture? Don't you remember that all of these things were predicted of him? And as he came to Isaiah, don't you remember that he promised that a child would be born, that a son would be given, and the government would be upon his shoulder, but he would be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and the sins of the world would be laid upon him? And he began to expound to them the scriptures. And it was through the expounding of the scriptures that their hearts began to burn. Has your heart grown cold? Has your enthusiasm for the Lord sort of cooled off? How long has it been since you were really excited about Jesus and the things of the Lord? You know, people often come around and they say, oh, I can remember those days in the chapel. Oh, that was such an exciting time. I can remember the tent. Oh, how glorious were the days in the tent. Wait a minute. If you have to look back into the past to see a time when your heart was really burning and on fire for the Lord, then you're in a backslidden state. You see, you can look back at a time when you were more fervent for the Lord than you are today, which means you're backslidden. You've gone back from that experience and from that relationship with Him. You're in a dangerous place. But the Lord wants to rekindle the fire in your heart today. How does He do it? He follows the same method. The fire in our heart is not kindled by experience. This is a mistake that a lot of people make. They hear, oh, exciting meetings going on over here, and they run to get into an exciting meeting. Oh, there are healings over here, and they run to see healings. 
Oh, there's this. And they're running around trying to rekindle the fire in their hearts. But the fire in your heart is not rekindled by experiences. The fire in your heart is rekindled when the Lord begins to open the Scriptures to you. Notice they didn't say, did not our hearts burn as we talked with each other? They didn't say, did not our hearts burn as he broke bread? But did not our hearts burn as he opened the Scriptures to us? If your heart has grown cold, the Lord wants to rekindle that fire in your heart. And if you'll just get alone someplace today, and if you'll just take the word and begin to read it, the Lord will begin to open up the scriptures to you. And as he does, it always creates a beautiful case of heartburn. And I pray that you might experience today the work of Jesus Christ in your life, drawing you back to that place of passion and fire and enthusiasm for him. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, for the hope the living hope that is ours today because Jesus rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for the inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that you've reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of your Spirit. Now, Lord, let thy Holy Spirit open the Scriptures to our hearts today renewing the fire. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Easter is a fact or it is a fable. A very cunningly devised fable. Perhaps Peter got together with the fellows and said, hey guys, I've been thinking this thing over, and man, I'm not ready to go back fishing. And, and that's what I'm faced with. It's all over, man. We've got to admit that. It's just all over, unless we can do something about it. Now, I've got a plan. Tonight, we'll slip down to the tomb, and one of you guys will drug the soldier was on guard. And then we'll steal the body and we'll bury it elsewhere. And then the next day we'll come like we're looking for the body. And when it's not there, we'll get all excited and we'll run around and say, oh, the tomb is empty. And then we'll start making up stories of how we saw him here and there. Cleopas, you and your buddy, you say that you were walking on the way to Emmaus and he came along and started explaining scriptures to you. And Mary, you say that you saw him there at the tomb and all of you guys now, you know, get the story straight and, and we can pull it off. Hey, and if we can do it, 
at least you don't have to go back fishing. You know, we can tell people, hey, give to our cause, and, and, and we can sit here and live off the people, you know. Be a good deal. There's one problem with that. Every one of these fellows died because he maintained the story was true. Now, you would have hoped that there would have been one coward among them, that when the soldier was holding the sword to his juggler vein, he says, is it true? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You'd think that the guy would have, under that pressure, broken and said, hey, you know, it's just a big phony thing. Peter made it all up. It's all Peter's fault, you know, and we just went along with it. But, you know, spare me, man. One of them would have done that, you would think, but not so. Every one of them affirmed the truth right to their deaths. And all of them but John suffered a violent death because they were affirming the story was true. That sure doesn't leave the ground in which you're trying to stand today very solid, does it? For your sake, you'd think that one of them would have broken, but they didn't. Thus, it looks very much like the story is indeed fact and not fable. In fact, our whole system of jurisprudence is established upon the testimony of witnesses. And if two or three witnesses will testify in a court of law concerning a particular incident, then that incident is determined to be fact because these witnesses have declared it to be so. There were hundreds of witnesses who said they saw Jesus risen from the dead. If our system of jurisprudence has any validity at all, then we must accept this fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. Or else throw out our whole system, our whole judicial system, which wouldn't be too bad, but... Uh, <laughs> Peter said, look, we didn't follow any cunningly devised fables when we declared to you the glory of God, but we were eyewitnesses. But if you don't want to believe what I saw, there's something even more certain than that. What? We have the sure word of prophecy. Those very scriptures that Jesus was expounding and opening up to these two fellows on the road to Emmaus, they are indeed the strongest proof possible that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is indeed a fact. Now, you may still wish to believe that it is a fable, or you may still be gambling on the fact that it was a fable. But let me tell you something. 
the stakes are extremely high and the odds are stacked against you. The Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What a beautiful day for you to allow God to begin a fire burning in your own heart. You see, Peter said he was an eyewitness, but we have even more solid proof. That is all of the scriptures. But in reality, the final proof is your own personal experience with the risen Lord. You can give me all the facts. But even more than that, you today can have a personal experience with the risen Christ. And then the rest of it is all academic. You really don't need it. Because I have experienced the touch of the Lord upon my life today. That's the final proof. And your heart will begin to burn with a love for God and an enthusiasm for the things of the Spirit. Your life will be turned around. I would encourage you today, if your heart has grown cold, or if you've never had the fire burning in your heart, of having been in close touch with God, I would encourage you to go back to the prayer room, and before you go home, meet the risen Savior on this Easter day. Your life will be changed. For good. May the Lord bless you and be with you, and may, as you go out into this dark, hopeless world, may your life just shine forth and radiate with the love of Jesus Christ. And may people know that he is risen indeed just by looking at you and seeing that power of God's love and spirit coming forth from your life. God bless you and use you as a dynamic witness of the truth of the resurrection. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Chuck's teaching ministry by visiting pastorchuck.org.